This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Due to the graphic nature of this episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and horror involving children that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The bed is soft as you lie down for the night. The expansive pine forests and towering peaks of the Colorado Rockies were everything you had hoped they would be and the luxurious Stanley Hotel was even more impressive than you had imagined. The building was regal and brilliant with its red roof and bright white walls. The room was cozy and comfortable. As you close your eyes to rest with a smile on your face, you hear a knock at your door. You sigh and slowly slip out from beneath the blankets, the chill night air causing your hair to stand on end. You approach the door and open it, expecting to see a bellboy, but no one's there. You step into the hall, looking to your left and to your right. The expansive hallway stretches on in both directions, seemingly endless. You sigh and turn around, but the door to your room is gone. Instead, you see a blank wall with a floral pattern wallpaper. You turn around to see your neighbor's door has vanished as well. You race down the halls, looking, searching anywhere for a door, a way out, anything. But your feet race step after step down a hall reaching endlessly further away. You drop to the floor, exhausted and terrified. You feel a cold hand wrap around your shoulder. You have nowhere else to run. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the spooky Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review on Spotify or wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com merch for more information. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as Parcast's other shows on Spotify or wherever you're listening.
About 90 minutes west of Denver, just outside of the Rocky Mountain National Park, is the tourist town of Estes Park, Colorado. With stunning views of craggy peaks and lush green forests filled with an abundance of wildlife, this region is often described as God's country. Nestled at the base of the mountains on the outskirts of town is the crown jewel of the area, the Stanley Hotel. The Stanley Hotel is a lovely building, built in the colonial revival style. Its 142 rooms, columned porch, and symmetrically designed front facade were constructed in 1909 by Freeland Oscar Stanley, maker of the famous Stanley Steamer, a steam engine-powered car. F.O. Stanley had originally moved to Colorado for his health, and he quickly fell in love with the area. The beauty of the mountains inspired him to share that beauty with others, and he began building his hotel as a getaway for wealthy Americans. The property was built to the height of modernity, with running water, telephones, and electric lights in each room. In addition to the main building, a concert hall, a private smaller hotel called The Lodge, and staff quarters were built on the 160-acre property. A series of underground staff tunnels were hewn out of the underlying rock to connect several of the hotel's buildings. While more lodging has been added to the property in the last several years, most of the original Stanley Hotel buildings are now preserved and on the National Register of Historic Places. The 110-year-old Stanley Hotel is famed for its beautiful setting, but perhaps even more for its frighteningly haunted past. The Stanley Hotel has been the home of many reported hauntings. However, nobody truly knows why the location became a gateway to the paranormal. Some claim that the hotel was built on sacred Native American land, or that the quartz and limestone deposits under the buildings are conduits for supernatural energy. Others think that Lord Dunraven, the original owner of the land the hotel sits on, felt swindled by F.O. Stanley and cursed the property. These legends are much like the hotel itself. Interesting, a little unsettling, and mysterious. Perhaps even more mysterious is the catastrophic event that took place only two years after the hotel opened on June 25, 1911. Lizzie pushed her cart of cleaning supplies through the dark hallways, candle in hand. A storm had knocked out the power to the hotel, and as it raged, the building shook with its fury. The wind was bouncing off the mountains, sweeping rain against the walls. Yet despite the storm's power, work still needed to be done. Room 217, an expansive suite in the West Wing, needed a full cleaning. It had been booked by a particularly wealthy patron who was due to arrive that night. Lizzie had insisted to the manager that the storm would delay the guest, but the manager told her that was not a risk worth taking. Now Lizzie walked down the endless hallways, past room 201, 202, with nothing but the flickering light of her candle to guide her. The flame cast odd shadows against the walls, 
orange light mixing with the floral pattern in strange and distorted ways. She was used to seeing this pattern of the day, or with the hall lights on. It was pretty then, but in the dark, it felt like she was walking through a different world. Behind the door, she could hear grinding, clapping, and flapping, windows blown open by the storm, bouncing against the walls, shutters slapping against the ground. Through others, she could hear crying infants, moans, groans, grunts, and squeals from the strangers doing God knows what in the darkness of their hotel rooms. In some rooms, she could see candlelight burning from beneath the doors. Shadows joined them, sprawling across the floor, their motions startling and inexplicable. As she approached room 210, her candle went out. As she became all too aware of the already frightening darkness, the strange sounds all around her only grew more terrifying in the pitch black. She pulled matches from her cart. She struck, and struck, and struck, but it was no use. Her breath drew short, the darkness becoming more and more oppressive the longer she stood within it. She sent a desperate prayer out to anyone who would listen to send a light to guide her in the darkness. She struck the match once more, but it broke in her fingers. She could hear the wind passing beneath the cracks in the doors. It whistled slightly, and she thought, just for a moment, she heard a soft voice whispering strange words. She grabbed another match, twitching with anxiety. She struck it, but the match refused to light. The voices in the hallway grew louder, a whisper piercing into her mind. She took a deep breath in, her nerves fraying even further. She pressed forward into the darkness and continued to strike her match as she moved, barely able to see the numbers on the rooms as she passed them. 212, 214, 217. She pulled the keys from her cart and felt for the impression of the number in the iron. She placed her hand on the door, found the lock, and opened the door. The room was lit by periodic flashes of lightning. The flares through the window gave her glimpses of mountains looming in the darkness, great behemoths waiting to consume her in the dark. She struck the match all the more furiously, hoping the light would soften the lightning's glow and finally calm her mind. She pushed her cart inside the room, trembling. A persistent hiss echoed within the walls, but in her fear, it sounded like it was nowhere and everywhere, almost as if it was a phantom sound, a trick of the darkness around her. In the din, a strange message reached her ears. Spark the flames. She looked at her matches in the light of the lightning. She saw that the one she was striking had been stripped of phosphorus, unable to light under any condition. She grunted and quickly grabbed another match, striving to be free from the darkness as soon as she possibly could. She struck and struck. She saw a spark fly as the phosphorus struck with the matchbox. 
that single glorious spark mixing with the wood. Time slowed as she watched the spark grow from one spark to two, then two sparks to a small flame, the warm orange light pleasing to her eye, a shelter in the storm. Yet as she watched, the flame grew, rapid and chaotic. The warm, relaxing light shifted to a cascading fireball, burning the air itself. Before she knew it, the whole room had filled with flames. The persistent hiss stilled, and the pressure in the room seemed to lighten for a moment, as if the walls themselves were sighing with relief. The accounts vary between the newspapers of the day. However, all agree that when the electricity went out at the Stanley, staff lit the backup gas lamps. During a particularly fierce storm in 1911, room 217 of the Stanley Hotel sprung a secret gas leak. When chambermaid Elizabeth Wilson set foot in the room, the flame on her candle ignited, creating a gigantic fireball. The force of the explosion blew the room apart. The entire west wing of the hotel was destroyed, and several people were injured. Pieces of the hotel were found over half a mile away. Lizzie herself was merely blown off her feet as her body fell to the first floor. She was knocked into a coma for two days and broke both her ankles. She eventually made a full recovery and continued to work at the hotel until 1950, when she was 90 years old. In the following years, the damaged part of the hotel was completely rebuilt. While Lizzie did recover from her injuries, some speculate that her soul resided in room 217 for the two days while she was in a coma, and some say that to this day, Lizzie's spirit continues to look after room 217, the first of many ghosts who would make the hotel their home. We'll further tour the hauntings of the Stanley Hotel after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. The first ghosts to haunt the Stanley Hotel were people who loved the building and life. F.O. Stanley, the founder of the hotel, was said to love his hotel so much that he never left, even after death. The lustrous hardwood floors, soothing chandelier lighting, and relaxed but posh interior design was too magnificent for him to part with, and his spirit has been seen playing pool within the billiards room and wandering around the hotel's bar and lobby. Stanley's wife, Flora Stanley, was said to love music so much her spirit remained in the concert hall, dancing across the ballroom-style floors, playing piano on the quaint yet prominent stage, 
and cheering on the performers whose music can reach her in the afterlife. Along with them, Lizzie the chambermaid haunts room 217, the room her soul bonded with in the depths of disaster. Yet not every ghost at the Stanley Hotel is friendly. When the gateway to the other side was opened by those who wished to stick around, it allowed more heinous spirits to venture onto the hotel grounds, causing mischief and sowing fear into the hearts of the hotel's guests. His eyes closed after a long day wandering the hotel. His wife had found it beautiful, but he had found it unsettling. As he turned corners, he felt the hair on his neck stand on end, and it seemed as if somebody or something was always watching. When he tried to admire the wonderfully done colonial-era paintings and gold-embossed mirrors that covered the walls, he felt as if the eyes of the subject were looking back at him. When he meandered through the immaculately pruned hedge maze in the rear courtyard, he felt as if monsters were racing through the pathways to find him before he could find the exit. When he'd laid down to sleep at night, he felt as if he'd heard voices whispering just outside his door every moment before he would slip into unconsciousness. He'd strain to hear what they were saying, but he could never make it out. He had lied awake every night for the week that he'd been at the hotel, and his mind was fraying with exhaustion and suspicion. To make matters worse, his two-year-old son had been babbling to the air, as if he were speaking with someone, and he'd tried to abandon his parents several times on their walks. He was used to his son being adventurous and outgoing, but this place, something about this place had seemed like it was calling out to the boy, his tiny undeveloped footsteps unusually smooth and purposeful on the immaculate carpets. As he drifted off to sleep, the thought of his son came rushing to his mind. He realized he hadn't heard the boy moving in the crib for quite some time. His eyes shot open and he leapt out of bed, reaching for his glasses. He rushed over to the crib and looked inside. His son was nowhere to be found. He felt his pulse quicken as he raced through the hotel room, turning on every light he could. But the bathroom, the closet, the bedroom were all empty. He raced to the bed, where his wife's eyes were still shut tight. Despite all the noise he had made and all the lights he had switched on, he pushed her shoulder and called her name. He shook the bed and shouted, trying to wake her, but she still dozed on. Then, the lights in the room burst. He stood in darkness, his hands on his wife's still shoulders, his own breath heavy in his ears. He heard the door to the room open, and a steady stream of light flowed into the room from the hallway. The man shook his wife in one last attempt to wake her, but she merely slept on. He stepped towards the door alone, slowly and methodically. He peered into the hall, the normally bright lights dim and distant. Yet in the dusk-like corridor, 
he could see the small shape of a child walking away at the very end of the hall. Without a second thought, he raced forward, bare feet pressing firmly against the carpet. Yet with each step, the carpet became thicker. His pace slowed, even as his panic and determination started to grow. His mind pushed him forward towards the silhouette of his son, but the wallpaper was almost stagnant, the hallway moving past like molasses. He felt beads of sweat appear on his brow as he strained with effort, and he watched from a distance as his son turned and walked into another hallway. He grunted with effort as he pressed forward, pushing on with all his strength. As he approached the point where his son had turned, he began to hear an odd squealing in the distance. He grasped the corner of the wall and pulled himself forward. As he turned, he saw his son standing only yards away, stock still, staring at the wall of a dead end. From the wall, he saw a fire hose, its bright brass heading and long maroon rubber tubing extending out. The brass gleamed with a sinister brilliance in the dimmed light of the hall, and it moved through the air like the head of a great serpent, wavering and searching for its prey. The hose uncoiled, its tubing stretching outwards, slowly and ominously. As the beastly object unraveled, he saw its slow movement reaching ever closer to his son. He screamed as he stepped into the hall. He tried to get his son's attention, but the boy stared ever onward, up at the gleaming metal head of the building's rubber serpent. Step after step he took, trudging ever closer to his boy. With each step, the hose grew ever longer, looming over the child. He reached his arms forward, only two feet away. He watched in horror as the lever slowly turned on the looming nozzle. He stepped closer, but his eyes widened as he noticed the hose thickening, inch after inch, growing in size. As the rubber tubes pushed outwards, he reached out in desperation for his son, but he was too late. From the nozzle sprung a gaping maw, wrong with teeth and slick with saliva. As if possessed, the boy stood motionless, staring up at the hose. The man dropped to his knees in horror, only to watch the second mouth close over his son. He could see his child's body move through the rubber, like a mouse making its way through a snake's gullet. Then he felt the rubber ooze around his torso, slowly and methodically. In desperation, he grabbed the hose, clawing at it with his nails, tearing at it with his teeth to free his son. But that gleaming brass head looped around him again and again and again as the hose tightened, stilting his breath. He watched as the nozzle raised itself into the air, slightly above his face. The lever began to turn, and that deep crimson gaping maw began to protrude from the nozzle once more, its saliva pouring down upon his face. He coughed, sputtered, and spat, hoping it would all be over soon. 
His eyes burst open, sunlight streaming in through the hotel windows. He looked to his wife, peacefully sleeping in bed next to him. He looked to the crib, his son standing up and holding the bars. His son giggled as they made eye contact, apparently unaware of the horror that had just befallen him. The man rubbed his eyes. He had heard stories of what the hotel could do to a person's mind. He decided he would never stay in room 217 again. On September 30th, 1974, Stephen King and his wife Tabby stayed overnight at the Stanley Hotel on the last day before it closed for the season. Until the 1980s, the hotel lacked central heating and would close for the snowy Colorado winters. On that last frigid day of the hotel's open season, the Kings were the only guests in the disconcertingly empty hotel. Stephen spent hours wandering through the buildings, including some of the hallways on the fourth floor, which give the illusion of being never-ending. And as it happens, the king stayed in room 217. While there's no record of Stephen encountering the ghost of Lizzie, that night he had a nightmare about his three-year-old son being chased through the hotel by a fire hose. That experience became the inspiration for Stephen King's famed horror novel, The Shining, which is about an alcoholic caretaker and his family beset by supernatural forces while spending the winter in the remote Overlook Hotel. Since then, dedicated horror fans have flocked to the Stanley Hotel to see Room 217. Perhaps most famously, in 1993, the comedy film Dumb and Dumber filmed some sequences at the Stanley. Jim Carrey, one of the stars of the film, specifically requested to stay in room 217. But after only three hours in the room, he called the staff demanding a new room. Jim Carrey has refused to discuss what occurred in room 217 ever since. The hotel has leaned into the reputation it gained from the shining novel and film. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the hotel plays The Shining on its own local TV channel. Yet while the hotel leans into this cultural phenomenon, it's clear to all who stay that the hotel's paranormal nature extends far past that single story's influence. To prove this, the hotel offers a haunted tour, telling a variety of stories and pointing out some of the places in the hotel where people have encountered the supernatural. Even so, hotel staff often leave out the most dangerous paranormal locations to avoid scaring away the guests forever. We'll learn about the Stanley Hotel's most frightening tales after this. And now, back to the story. The grounds of the Stanley Hotel are quite expansive and house 11 separate buildings. Alongside the main building, the hotel grounds contain the lodge, the concert hall, and perhaps most frightening, the carriage house. The carriage house was originally built to house the carriages of the hotel's guests during long stays at the resort. However, this building has served many different purposes since its inception. It even functioned as a flop house for a time, 
a way to accommodate hotel guests who were not wealthy enough to afford their own room in the main building. Today, the carriage house is mostly used as a storage space. Unfortunately, the objects that are stored there are far more morbid than you would expect, and they may have opened the doors to the most malicious spirit on the entire hotel grounds. It's no wonder that the hotel staff are hesitant to enter that building, even during the middle of the day. Carl stared at the empty bed, its sheets pushed to the side, a pill bottle on the nightstand next to it. He could still see the indent in the mattress where the body was found earlier that morning. The maid had knocked several times before entering, only to find the corpse of a sad young man who apparently thought he had nothing left to live for. This wasn't the first body that had been found at the Stanley Hotel, and it was far from the first suicide. Carl had moved many empty beds just like this one. It was the worst part of his job. He lifted the mattress and pushed it off the box spring, lowering it down onto a dolly. He strapped it firmly down with ratchets, so it would only go where he pushed it. He rolled the mattress out the door, guiding it into the hallway. People watched as he walked past them, none the wiser to the dark event he was forced to stow away, as if to pretend it never happened. He alone was burdened with that knowledge. Yet despite the somber nature of his task, Carl smirked as he saw the guests nonchalantly ignore him. So many of these people had come to the hotel to experience the supernatural. If only they realized everyday life was horrifying enough. He wheeled the mattress out the front door and down the sidewalk. His breath fogged as he exhaled into the open air. This was common for the mid-morning mountains. But as his hand felt the fabric of the mattress, it seemed to him like the bed was chillier than the outside. He asked himself if the bed had been that cold when he first lifted it, but he couldn't seem to remember. Slightly worried, he tried to remember if he had experienced something like this before, but he couldn't think for long. He had a job to do, and he wanted to get it done as quickly as possible, so he shrugged and continued on, pushing through the parking lot down the hill. He saw his destination in the distance. It was a large L-shaped building in the same white and red style as the hotel proper. He had been to this building, the carriage house, many times before with many similar deathbeds in tow. Yet as he approached the storage space this time, something felt off. The white seemed darker than before, and the red roof seemed brilliantly red, like it had a shine glancing off the shingles that it had never had before. He froze in place, staring at the building, trying to determine what exactly was wrong. But the bed slowly started to pull upon his arms. Moving cautiously, Carl allowed the cart to guide him down towards the carriage house, closer and closer. When he reached the building, he pulled out his keyring, flipping through for the key to the padlock on the weathered door. He had just found the right key when he heard 
the padlock dropped to the ground and the door slowly swung open. Carl's heart stopped. He'd seen disturbing things at the hotel before, but never something like this. Carl peered into the dark doorway. He had been in this building many times before, but this was different. He decided he would push the bed inside, close the door as quickly as possible, and come back for the dolly later, with one of his fellow maintenance men in tow. He pushed the bed past the lip of the entrance, stepping closer to the darkness. He took a deep breath in, then heaved the bed inside, the dolly rolling out of sight and deeper into the black. He reached for the doorknob, but just as his hand passed into the shadow, he felt something sharp grasp his wrist. In the darkness appeared two glowing red eyes angled and violent, their fierce gaze penetrating Carl's mind. He pulled against the monster's grip, but its claws only dug into his flesh, his blood dripping against the boards. The figure pulled Carl deeper into the carriage house, its strength almost impossible to resist. The door flew shut behind him, the carriage house dark as a moonless night. The two eyes blinked away, and the claws vanished from his wrist. He stood, shaking in fear, eyes scrambling around in the darkness, looking for a light, any light, that could guide him back to safety. Then, terrified, he watched as candles began to flicker on, their flames casting a pallid glow across the worn wooden boards that formed the interior of the carriage house. Beneath the candles stood mattresses, rows and rows of dusty mattresses laid out across the floor. Carl recognized many of them, each a horrid story and ghastly memory in his mind, now laid out in display. His breath drew short, and in his fear, he looked for the dolly he had pushed inside, only to see it resting against the wall, the mattress and its straps not on it. Then, in the flicker of the candle flame, he spotted the outline of the door and bolted for it, only to find himself immediately frozen in place. He felt the supernatural entity pulling him forward, beyond his control. His mind raced in terror, trying to think of some way out, any way to break free. But his resolve weakened as he walked past each mattress, he could see the remnants of the people who had died upon the hotel's beds. Their restless souls appeared on the beds, displaying the method of their deaths. One a gunshot, another a cyanide pill. Yet another bed showed bloodstains spread all across the fabric, a poor young man having been the stabbing victim of an unknown killer. As the force pressed him forward, he noticed a mattress, the mattress from his dolly set distinctly upon the ground at the end of the walkway. As he stared at the indent, it gradually began to take shape, looking more and more like an outline of himself. He tried to resist, but in his heart he felt the resistance melting away. The mattress looked so warm, so comforting. 
It was made just for him. He battled against his own mind as the boards began to creak beneath his feet. He dug his heels into the ground, trying to hold himself back. But then, above him, a rope began to dangle. He watched as its loose ends tied together in a noose. Carl took a deep breath in, knowing it would likely be his last. Sweat dripped off his brow as the noose flew over his head. The rope tightened and eased him to the ground, pulling him across the splintered wooden floor. His vision began to blacken as the force pulled him on top of the mattress. He felt his body slide right into the indent, perfectly made for him. Yet in his final moments, he felt an odd contentedness as he looked up to see those red eyes floating above him, their upturned sides looking like a tiny part of a wide, toothy smile. When the next maintenance man would check the carriage house, they would only see a dangling rope, mattresses sorted and stacked against the walls, and a ring of keys. The only sign that Carl had ever been there at all. What was once the Stanley Hotel carriage house is now used for storing landscaping tools and deathbeds. All the beds upon which guests have died throughout the hotel's existence. Legend suggests that the steady collection of tragic artifacts has summoned something truly demonic that now skulks within the carriage house, along with all the death and manure. Of course, many propose alternative theories to explain the demonic presence in the carriage house. They believe this demon first took hold of the building while the hotel was being built. Tall tales speak of a workman who was crushed during a tragic cave-in as he made his way to the carriage house. Others claim that several workers burned to death in a horrible fire within the house's walls. The building was rebuilt on the ashes of the old one, and the vengeful spirits of the deceased remained. Whatever the source may be, something lurking in this building clearly lusts for blood. More than once, the rope for the garage door has mysteriously looped around a staff member's neck as they drove a tractor into the storage space. While none have been seriously injured by this mishap, it is only a matter of time until the dead get their due. For these reasons, most staff members avoid going into this building altogether. The Stanley Hotel has made itself home to many more ghosts and goblins throughout the years. Alongside the specter of Room 217 and the demon in the carriage house, two ghosts like to frequent the concert hall, Flora Stanley and a young girl known only by her first name, Lucy. In the 1990s, when the hotel was undergoing some remodeling, a runaway teen named Lucy began squatting in the concert hall basement. One cold winter's day, workers found her stiff body frozen in her sleeping bag, the casualty of a particularly frigid winter storm. While she was frozen stiff during her death, 
she became a very active spirit in the afterlife. She occasionally makes her presence known during ghost tours by slamming the basement door. She has also responded to Ouija boards and EVF recorders, and she's not the only ghost who likes to make people aware of their existence. A nameless entity in room 401 likes to steal jewelry and trinkets. More than one guest's wedding rings have gone missing while they stayed within this room. Similarly, guests in room 428 have been woken by a ghost dressed in Wild West clothing, watching them sleep. The cowboy ghost has been known to gently kiss female guests on the forehead. In addition to ghosts, animals seem to be attracted to the eerie energy within the Stanley Hotel, and that energy causes them to behave in particularly odd ways. A few rooms have had problems with overly aggressive raccoons who attack the visitors and have been witnessed hissing at nothing at all. That is, hissing at nothing that can be seen with human eyes. With this wide assortment of undead figures roaming the halls, it is no wonder that the Stanley Hotel has become forever cemented in pop culture. It brings to mind a line from the movie its eerie atmosphere inspired. Some places are like people, some shine, and some don't. If you plan to visit the hotel, pray that it doesn't shine while you're within its halls. Otherwise, you may never see the light of day again. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back next Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Edmire and Carly Madden. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Candace Rogers. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>